Hey there, Social Work 6382 students. I don't know how you're doing, but I really hope that all of you are doing incredibly well as you listen to this, that whatever you're doing, it's kind of enjoyable for you. Uh, I'm recording this on a Sunday, about middle of the afternoon. It's been an interesting day for me so far. Woke up really early, which is something I do all the time because I have a small child and normally my small child wakes up about six in the morning. And so my, my body is just like used to that. It's used to waking up at that time. And so today I woke up a little bit before six in the morning, but my child stayed asleep until like 8.15, which gave me a bunch of time to myself, which is really quite nice. So I, uh, I took the child monitor device with me. I sat out on my porch. I enjoyed the kind of crisp fall weather that we're having right now. It's not cold, but you can start to feel, you know, that the cold is coming. It's that wonderful kind of autumnal air that has that that quality that, I don't know, it, you don't get it any other time of year, I don't think. And I really, really like it. It was great. So I did that and I read the chapter that we had to read for this week. We know chapter number three working with organizations and uh, you know the effect of reading that chapter was to all of a sudden become very aware of all of the other things i could be doing with my time it's not a riveting chapter it's not really that exciting at all it's kind of bland i would even go so far as describe it as kind of like cold and sterile banal i, I did not enjoy reading the chapter but uh, that's okay, because as I read it, I found myself thinking, you know, this stuff is being presented in this book in this way that I don't like. And the reason I don't like it is that I think that it takes really interesting, complex, important ideas, but renders them in a way that I just think is kind of uninteresting. And, and it's like they're trying to be boring, and that's, that's, that's bad. It's like, oh, why are they doing this? This could be so much fun to talk about. This could be so much fun to write about. There's so much to say here. And uh, that I, as I was reading, you know, at first I started to find myself kind of like being like irritated by the, the blandness of it. But then something happened. There's like a, a switch, I suppose, that, that got flipped in my head. And I went from being kind of like irritated by the blandness to being, I suppose, somewhat inspired by it. Inspired in what way you ask? I'm so glad that you asked. You're so smart for asking that great question. Thanks so much for asking it. I got inspired to take this stuff and to try to talk about it in a podcast lecture in a way that I think and hope is actually like captivating, interesting, fun, thought provoking, that, that sort of thing, right? So that's what I'm going to be trying to do here with the next you know, bit of time that we're going to be spending together and all that. But anyways, okay, that's my, my introduction. Let's play a little bit of introduction music here, and then let's go ahead and get into some content. So the title of this chapter, chapter number three, is Working with Organizations. And now, you know, I after reading this chapter and looking back at that title, I have two observations that I want to share right off the bat. Observation number one, I made a mistake. 
I screwed something up. At the end of week one of this class, I asked everybody to think about, you know, what is an organization, what is a group, and what is a community? And then I said we would talk about that when we came back for week number two. Then week number two came, and guess what I forgot to do? I forgot to ask you about that thing that I had totally asked you to think about. And so when I saw the word uh, organization in this title, working with organizations, that jogged my memory. And I was like, you know what? That's actually an important exercise, kind of talking about these three things because they're not the same thing. They're not just synonyms, different words for the same thing. They're actually different things. They're not the same. And I should definitely spend some time, you know, with the you all talking about what those terms mean, right? What is a group? What is an organization? What is a community? And so even though I, I didn't talk about it in week number two, here's the deal. You, you're, you have me recorded saying this. I promise that I'm going to start week number three by going back to that question. I'm not asking you to like Google these terms and then tell me what you find on Google. You can do that, of course. That's an option. What I am asking you to do is to think about what these three terms mean to you, to tell me how you would describe them, define them, talk about them. Uh, imagine that somebody just randomly asked you, uh, hey, imagine that it's somebody who's learning English for the first time. We'll do it that way. And they say to you, hey, I, there's these three words in English. They seem kind of similar to me. I'm curious if you could help me understand the differences. What's an organization? What's a community? What's a group? Think about it in that way, right? How would you describe them? How would you describe how they're similar? How would you describe how they are different? That is an important question. And we'll be talking more about that at the very beginning of class number three. So be prepared, please. I won't forget this time. Which brings me to observation number two about this title, Working with Organizations. I don't think that's what I would have titled this chapter at all. I think that I would have titled this chapter Working for Organizations. That seems to be a much more, in my mind, accurate way of capturing the overall kind of premises that the authors of this chapter are advocating for in the writing that, that we read. I say that because, you know, there were some themes that seemed to occur in this chapter. And, and I wrote them down after a time because I started to come across certain words and sentences and paragraphs often enough that I was like, okay, these seem to be things that these writers are implicitly, possibly even explicitly, applying a lot of importance and weight to. Those themes were, that I had written down here, rules, guidelines, mandates, missions, and efficiency. And when I, I take a look at those things, rules, guidelines, those uh, we I could have actually potentially added the word standards to this. They didn't use that word, I think, very often, but that's a word that I think kind of matches up with those two, rules, guidelines, standards. Rules and guidelines and standards are things that, in my mind, kind of take stuff and... That, that might be kind of like wide-ranging and very divergent or diverse and kind of make it more homogenous and standardized, make it the same. And uh, I got the impression as I read this chapter that the writers were saying that rules and guidelines and standardization is kind of like an important thing that needs to be considered uh, quite often when we work with organizations. They talked about mandates and missions, and I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. And they talked a lot about efficiency. 
I do think that rules and guidelines and standards and efficiency and all those things that I just mentioned, that those things are, are important and can be used and can be used well. They're not evil. They're not bad. I think that one of the things that is happening in a lot of organizations, again, that I've either worked in or that I, I'm working in now, is that those things become overemphasized. And when they become overemphasized, we lose sight of something, or at least I will argue that we lose sight of something. We lose sight of principles is what I think. And principles are incredibly important. There, there are some organizations, mind you, that can be overly concerned with principles to the point where they don't care about things like efficiency, and that's not good either. I just don't see that happening as much or as often as organizations becoming overly fixated on efficiency and, and losing sight of their principles. But principles are, are just really, really important. And to convince you, of that, I'm going to give you a couple of examples here of uh, how these things kind of could play off of each other. At least that's what I'm going to try to do. My first example that I'd like you to imagine is somebody who is a surgeon, a general surgeon, somebody who does general surgical procedures, appendectomies, fixes hernias, that stuff. Not somebody who's like a brain surgeon or a cardiology, like a cardiac surgeon. Those those tend to be hyper specialties, but just people whose job it is to find something that's wrong with the human body and then surgically correct whatever it is that that's wrong. Surgeon is probably not going to be just like operating like uh, we hope, you know, out of some like, you know, truck somewhere or out of their house. They're going to be operating within an organization, a hospital. And a hospital is a a great example of an organization because there's so much that needs to be organized to make a hospital run well and run efficiently. If the hospital becomes overly interested in kind of like, and I, I, this may happen, this may not, I don't know. Let's just say that the hospital becomes overly fixated on efficiency and they try to get the surgeon to like hurry up, you know, do as many procedures as they can in a day. At a certain point, you're going to run into that problem of quantity reducing quality. So what is it that stops these things from occurring? Now, maybe you could say laws or, or something like that, and, and maybe they do. But what I'm going to say is the biggest thing that stops those sorts of mistakes from happening is that surgeons have a certain principle, and the principle is to do no harm. Now, maybe I'm being idealistic when I say this, but I do think that that is a, a principle, and it's an important principle, and it is a principle that I hope organizes a lot of medical professionals. Do no harm. And if they, they hold to that principle, my guess is that the surgeon will, you know, make the appropriate choices about limiting him or herself in the number of procedures that they can do in, in a certain day or shift and that they will limit themselves to doing only that which is necessary for the patient or, and that the patient has consented to and, and all that sort of thing because to do otherwise would be harmful and that would violate a principle. So that's one example I, I hope that illustrates the importance of principle in concert with things like efficiency, not in place of efficiency, but working with it. That's the thing here. Uh, and that example I think is great because it shows that efficiency is awesome and it's good. It's not a bad thing. But if we run into the trap of overvaluing it, we can lose sight of some principles. And if that happens, I just don't think that the result is good. Sometimes principles get in the way of efficiency. That's totally accurate to say that. Sometimes that's a bad thing. 
it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a very necessary and good thing that principles get in the way of efficiency because it prevents efficiency from going off the rails. Let's talk about one more just for a second here. Uh, you're all trying to become social workers. And one of the things, one of the skills that you learn in pretty much any school of social work that you go to is the skill of research, uh, which is sometimes called data analysis. This is a really important skill. And a lot of times data analysis is something that can be used uh, to boost efficiency and all sorts of different things. I, I think that it's great that social workers learn how to do this. However, there's, there's a principle, I think, that underlines the kind of data analysis that social workers do, maybe even that other professions do, hopefully that other professions do. And that's the principle of trying to get closer to the truth, whatever that is. Not, not get it, but get closer to it. I, I say that because, you know, data analysis is something that, we, that involves the uh, taking data and running it through a series of statistical analyses to produce these things called statistics. And people can get pretty, can do some kind of uh, what, what I will call suspicious things with data. What's the thing that stops people from being kind of like uh, fishy with the data? Well, hopefully the principle of getting closer to the truth and not lying, you know, but trying to, to do the opposite of lying, to try to try to tell the truth about something. However, it, it's hard to do this. It's expensive. It's time consuming to do research and data analysis in a really responsible way. And a lot of times the agencies that social workers work for just don't have the resources or the time. Uh, I guess time is a resource. Anyways, they don't have the resources to do that. And they have to kind of like make do with what they do have. Um, and that can lead to data analysis research, which is more motivated by telling a truth as opposed to the truth. Or I should say that differently. It's more motivated by getting closer to and convincing people of a specific truth that the people who have a vested interest would like to be the truth. And it gets further away from kind of pursuing the truth and getting closer to that. I, I hope that that makes sense outside of my brain. The presentation was a little messy. Sorry about that. Um, but anyways, I'm going to kind of wrap up this section of the podcast lecture here by asking you another question, which I'm also going to come back to when we meet together as a class for the third time, along with the defined organizations and groups and communities in your own words. I'm also going to ask you about some of the principles that you think would be really important for working with communities. So think about that. Have that ready to go when we meet as a class. You've got to learn the fundamentals, it's true. We'll start with sounds and letters and words too. We'll build them up and break them down. We'll learn the
Okay, so like I said, I don't think that this chapter was a lot of fun to read, but I do think there was one section in this that I kind of did enjoy reading. I think it was probably the most useful part of the entire chapter. It's a part of the chapter which is titled Characteristics of Formal Organizations. It starts on page number 27 and it goes to page number 30. There's three things that I think are interesting in this section, or maybe I shouldn't say that. There's things in this section that prompted me to think of interesting things. And so what I want to do here is just kind of go through this bit by bit, talk about these three things and tell you what they prompted in my own mind. If you think that these things are interesting, we can do a deeper dive on them when we come together as a class again. So the first thing that I think is interesting is the differences between mandates and missions. I want to try to kind of marry this up with what I just got done talking about, the differences between goals and efficiency on one hand and principles on the other. I'd like to propose that mandates come from principles and that missions are directed towards goals and getting towards those goals in the most efficient way we possibly can. I think, and I'm hopefully going, as I say this, it'll spark something in your own minds. It'll spark some thoughts and you'll come to class prepared to talk about these things. I think there's a huge problem when an organization, a group, or an individual separates these things. When somebody or something separates the mission from the mandate, the goal from the principle, that's when we run into problems. Now, on some level, what I'm saying, I'm sure you're thinking like, well, duh, yeah, that's obvious. Why is he talking about this? Well, I'm talking about this because I think it actually happens on a somewhat regular basis. Because things like missions and goals and achieving missions and goals in an efficient way are a very seductive and desirable thing. Sometimes so much so that the organizations and the individuals within those organizations just kind of like lose sight of the mandates and of the principles. One of the ways that I, I think about it is this way, that sometimes the goal will come in between uh, an individual or an organization and the mandate or the principles. And when it does, it creates this kind of like eclipsing effect. It's as if the goal or the mission ends up eclipsing the mandate and the principles. And when that happens, I think individuals and organizations end up losing the faith, the goodwill of the populations that they're connected to. And that would be bad. So the, the thing here is that I'm saying it's super important, essential even, for all, each of us, everybody in this class as an individual, and the various organizations and institutions and groups that we're a part of to do our utmost to keep our mandates and our principles very much in view, to prevent them from becoming eclipsed by goals and efficiency or anything else for that matter. That's my first point. My second point is something that I wrote in the margins of the text, so you're not going to see this. I wrote this in the margin, it's a, in the one, two, third paragraph of this section, which starts off with formal organizational structure. 
in that paragraph, you know, they the authors talk about achieving goals efficiently. And one of the things that came to my mind when I was looking at this is that they are neglecting to mention something that I learned from a friend of mine who works in business, actually is like a, an MBA and all that, right? So, or maybe he has an MPA, Masters of Public Administration. He has one of the two. So he taught me this thing and I thought it was really useful for my own thinking. So I'm going to share it with you. We were, we were talking about our experiences working in different places, different organizations. We were talking about what these organizations did well and what they, they didn't do well. And we're kind of comparing that. And the my friend at one point during the conversation takes out a piece of paper and a pen and he draws a triangle on the paper. And at the three parts of the triangle, he writes three different words. He writes on one point, cost. On the second point, he writes quality. And on the third point, he writes speed. And he said, so here's, here's three things generally that tend to be going concerns for any goal-directed agency, organization, group, whatever. And I looked at it and I said, I, I buy that. That makes sense to me. Then he said, here's the thing. Every decision involves a trade-off. You get two of these things at the cost of the third thing. So for example, if you have an organization that makes something, if it the product it makes is very high quality and it can make it very fast, you're going to lose something and that's going to be that the, the product is going to cost a lot of money. You're going to lose cost. Look at it a different way. Let's say that an organization produces um, a, a lot of something, right? Um, they, they produce something and they, they, and they produce it so much of it that it can be you know, sold cheaply and they do it really, really fast. Chances are the quality is going to be not so good ultimately, right? Let's do one more here. Let's say uh, that you make something and it's, it's really high quality and you're able to, to keep it cheap. Well, it's going to take you a long time to do that. I bring that up because it seems to me that a lot of times we can be asked to do things in the field of social work in particular that don't, it's like do really great stuff, but don't have to do any of the trade-offs that come with doing really great stuff. We're expected at times to produce high quality services at a low cost to the people who receive those services and to do it really, really fast. And according to my friend's sort of like triangle way of breaking things down, this is just not possible. It's not something we can do. The reason I share this with you is that I have used this sort of triangle style way of describing trade-offs when I've had to have some difficult conversations with people who are my superiors in different organizations that I have worked. It's been my way of saying to them like, hey, I, I want to do the best possible work I can do. You want me to do the best possible work I can do. You've tasked me with doing something. Where's the trade-off? And, and in drawing it out for them in this way, assuming that they're willing to listen to me, this prompts a conversation which makes the, the person who's asking me to do something go, oh yeah, that's actually an interesting way to look at that. How can we, like what is the trade-off that we're willing to make? And how are we going to do that? Like what is the effect of this going to be? I found it to be a remarkably simple but thought-provoking way 
of engaging in dialogue and debate sometimes with people who are in the same organization that I am. And when we talk about doing stuff, it works. It works more often than it doesn't. And so I thought it would be good to share with you. So the last thing that I want to call your attention to is something that I think is is misnamed in the text. This is from page number 28. And in the writers of this chapter talk about something, write about something called the Peter Principle. Distinctly stated, the Peter Principle is that people get promoted to the point at which they are incompetent, right? They go right up to the point where like they would just suck at whatever it is that they're they're doing. Now I've been talking about principles and, and the way that I'm talking about principles is is one thing. And these the, the use of the signifier principle here, it just kind of irks me, right? So I'm going to propose here that we don't call it the Peter Principle. Let's call it the Peter Phenomenon. That's what I would like to do first. And second, what I'd like to do is kind of, I guess, debunk this thing. Because I just don't think that this is a good way to describe what actually happens in organizations. I think it happened, something like it happens in some organizations, but I don't think it happens in all organizations. I say that because I've worked in organizations that are kind of like small or medium-sized organizations. And in those organizations, it seems to me, because generally speaking, the people who work there kind of like know each other. They know each other like horizontally. So people who do kind of like the same stuff, they know each other and they know each other vertically, right? Um, so there are people who are, you know, like higher than you in the org chart, but they're not so they're not so far above you that they're totally disconnected from you. Like you, you see your boss, your boss sees you, you interact with each other. You interact not only with your boss, but your boss's boss. Like the, those sorts of organizations, when I work in those places, this thing that the writers of this chapter called the Peter Principle, I just don't see it happening a whole lot. It does happen um, in other organizations though. In organizations that I would call large to extra, to extra, extra large corporations. I shouldn't actually say corporations. That's uh, a slip. I, I would should say organizations. I do see it happening there. I think that what I've noticed, and this is the argument I guess I'm trying to make here, is that human beings can work remarkably effectively together in an organization or a group or a community so long as that community is not the kind of size that makes it impossible for the people who are near the top of the organization chart to know and understand what it is that is going on in the lives of the people who are near the bottom of the organization chart. The more levels of management there are, the more levels of abstraction that there are, and both abstraction and levels of management increase as the size of an organization or community increases, the less connected the people become within that group, within that community, within that organization. And the phenomenon then is that there are a small number of people with a lot of power that get concentrated near the top of the chart and as we move down, the number of people increases and increases and increases. And eventually, you have this situation where everybody is very disconnected from everybody else. You have a small unit of people that kind of know each other, and but they don't know the vast number of the people who, the, who are their coworkers because, or they're the people who live in the same community they do. There's just too many people. When there's too many people you start having a hard time 
creating meaningful connections with everybody. And when that happens, things like this Peter phenomenon do start to occur. This is where people get promoted and they get promoted because they are able to work within a system that encourages a lack of connection, a high level of abstraction amongst the people. They're, they're good functionaries. They're good at enforcing policy. They're good at um, kind of just making things happen. They're very oriented by goals and efficiency, but they're, they become less interested in things like mandates and principles, I think. And so that's the, I guess, the last thing I wanted to call your attention to. And, you know, I, I have a lot more to say. I have a notebook here in front of me. You can't see it. I'm going to shake it in front of the microphone so you can hear it. That's the sound a notebook makes when you shake it in front of a microphone. And there's a lot more stuff written on this thing. And I just don't want to talk your ears off. So I'm going to save some of this for class. Hopefully I've sparked your thoughts in some way or another. I really hope that I have. Uh, let's do a quick review. Come to class being able to describe how you think of the differences between groups, organizations, and communities. Come to class uh, with a list of a few principles that are your principles when it would come to you know, working within a community or, or an organization. And then, uh, I don't know, anything, you, if you want to do a deeper dive on the stuff that I just talked about here, that triangle thing, the Peter phenomenon, or uh, mandates and missions and principles and things like that, we can totally do that. If there's things that you notice that you want to talk about that I didn't talk about, I hope that you'll bring those up as well because there is other stuff in this chapter. And uh, I'll also then cover some of the things that I didn't get a chance to talk about in the podcast lecture, but I have written down in my notes when we come together as a class again. Till then, folks, uh, whatever you're doing, I hope that you're enjoying yourselves. And I hope that between the time that you're done listening to this and the time that I see you next, you're able to make some glorious mistakes. Take care. <laughs>